0: The reading of the Scriptures from Psalm 1. I invite your uh, hearing in reverence and in faith, the reading of God's Word as we find it in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Uh, Not unlike uh, all of you, I am invited uh, countless times through the year to go to some success seminar. I don't know, how to flip real estate and get rich. how to trade options and get rich. There's always this get rich deal. It's, I understand uh, selling real estate is important. Uh, options uh, play a critical role in stability of markets, but uh, I'm going to take a different uh, tack this morning and tell you in a certain way how, how you can be rich. So this too is a get rich seminar. Uh, but it, of course, has a twist. It's not uh, strictly about material wealth, but pleasing God, which is true wealth, sure. Uh, the psalm uh, essentially is the righteous man who keeps the Word and is blessed. Uh, blessed not only in the present now, but eternally blessed. Uh, while the wicked... May or may not be blessed in this life, materially speaking, but in the end they are taken away in judgment. Uh, most uh, scholars uh, see Psalm one and two as an introduction uh, to the entire psalter. Partially, they come to this conclusion by uh, figure of speech. The text begins Psalm one one, "How blessed is the man," and Psalm two last uh, verse. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So both Psalms uh, speak uh, to uh, the way of salvation. uh, More importantly, to the end of judgment for those who reject it. Uh, And you really have to admit uh, that to fail spiritually is to fail eternally. Uh, so we need, we need God's uh, success seminar. Uh, in that sense, I see Psalm 1 as a wisdom psalm. It's going to give us wisdom about life. And how desperately all of us need wisdom. Uh, and the psalm speaks to that. And where to find wisdom. There, there are others that contend this is a Torah psalm because... There's a reference to Torah in the Hebrew text. Uh, but the critical element is the author is telling you how to order your life for success. As defined by God in His Word. And I know some of you are thinking, well, we, we, we knew you were going to add a disclaimer. But think about it. God defines success for us. And because he's eternal truth, uh, he is—he is the way to success, and pleasing God is the way to wealth. So, in verses one to three, uh, we learn that the righteous man is blessed. The psalm begins, "How blessed is the man!" And it tells us who uh, this man is, and that he comes to success by actions. That define him. Beginning with something that's very important, what he does not do. First, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He has to hear their advice, he has to hear their counsel in different venues, but he does not follow it because he has another advisor. And that's the critical essence of the psalm. Uh, He has the very words of God that will be his advisor. Psalm 3311, the counsel of the Lord stand forever. I was reminded the other day reading something about Martin Luther. As you know, this is Reformation Sunday. And Luther was committed wholeheartedly to the premise that the word of God stands forever. And it is in that word that we have eternal counsel that will stand us in good stead. One of my favorites that I recite over and over to myself, Psalm 73, 24. With thy counsel thou wilt guide me and afterwards receive me to glory. The psalmist knows at that point that he's found the way to El Dorado and the greatest of all riches. He will be guided to glory by the counsel of God in Holy Scripture. Second, he does not stand in the path of sinners. And then lastly, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, The word seat is better translated, translated, I think, by the word company or assembly. In other words, he doesn't go to their religious assemblies where they will scoff at God. Most every commentary preacher acknowledges the fact that the three verbs form a natural progression with each being worse than the previous. Walk, stand, or sit. I think the progression is quite remarkable. But I think more critically is to look at what follows the verbs. Counsel, way, and assembly. A reminder that the way to ruin is in those three. In other words, shun those things. Get away from them. Because they will corrupt you and lead you to ruin. You may find material wealth there in abundance. You may find temporary happiness. But in the end, you will find ruin and corruption and total and absolute destruction. So that's the negative part of how not to get rich. Positive is in the contrast of what the righteous or the wise man does. We looked at what he should not do. This is what he's to do. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His pleasure is in Torah, the Scripture. I found in my own life, and sometimes as I listen to the testimony of others, Uh, They give as an essential element of the proof of the fact that God has given them new hearts, that they love the Word of God. There are many words out there. We all have our favorite music. Um, We have wise men we listen to. uh, We uh, court the advice of our spouses. Um, I have this saying in my own life, uh, you never quit raising your children Uh, I have to admit that um, my mother never quit raising me. But I, I, I loved her presence. I loved her advice. We court all of those things. But the Scriptures that are alive and powerful are far better than wisdom and rubies of the world. To court that. To love the Word of God. Secondly, he, he meditates on that word day and night. You know the phrase day and night is a merism. It's not day and night, it's everything in between. Continually throughout the day, the wise man, the wealthy man, has an occasion to give a reflection upon the Word of God. The cry of the psalmist, Psalm 63, verse 6, When I remember thee on my bed, I meditate on thee in the night watches. I, I quite frankly think that that's a profound way to wisdom. You don't just read the word. You and I read words all day long. Computer screen, newspaper, Wall Street Journal. You have your favorite magazine. We're always reading words. But this word you reflect upon. More importantly, you store it in your heart. Because you know a day will come when you need to go to that bank vault and make a withdrawal. You will desperately need the counsel of the Word of God because you have meditated upon it. You can draw on that bank. Cash that check. To see you through that time. The verb... Uh, meditate is used pejoratively in Psalm 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Regarding the wicked, they are always plotting against God. Meditating on how they can rebel against Him. Overthrow God's anointed. And they try, of course, all of their means. They meditate as well, but on that which is the reverse of the Word of God. And plotting is a process and an engagement to act. A seed is born in the heart, turns to work evil. The Greek uh, analog to this Hebrew word is used by the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 4, verse 15. Paul tells uh Paul tells Timothy uh, if you will gives him a way to riches take pains with these things be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all So meditate upon them. Notice the beautiful analog in the following verse. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both to yourself and for those who hear you. Point, I think, that The psalmist is extracting from this concept of meditation is the uh, beautiful idea that uh, what follows it is uh, obedience. Uh, As you know, this was an essential word to the children of Israel. Turn in your Old Testament to uh, Deuteronomy. uh, Chapter 6. And read verses 6-9. to And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You see Psalm 1 there, do you not? Get to your children early and often with the Word of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall... Be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Many Orthodox Jews take that literally, wear it on their foreheads, tie it on their hands. It's just figurative language. For take the word and do it with your hands, and think it with your minds. Another beautiful uh, text is uh, Joshua chapter chapter 1. Entering the land. What should we do? Moses has been displaced. So what should we do? Chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For this will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. That's Psalm one in one verse, compressed for the children of Israel. So what's the outcome of that life? Well, the man who does those things comes to success. You should be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its seasons. Leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The simile tells us that he prospers. His life produces. The prophets. Jeremiah chapter 17. Verses 7 and 8. blesses is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by the stream. Will not fear when heat comes. Which leaves will be green. Will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. That's a rich man. When everyone else is anxious, I mean, listen to the news long enough, you're going to get anxious. I mean, there's always gloom and doom. This man who's hidden the word in his heart knows the outcome, controlled by God. Can be at peace because he knows God is in control. And the Word of God is running and willing and chasing and winning because that's what God does. But the mighty importance of the Word of God, read it, study it, meditate upon it, take it into your heart and do it. The word streams, Jeremiah, a reference to the Word of God, feeding the tree more properly watering the tree so the pleasing god in his word is the definition of success in life ironically the word tree is used of the prosperity of the ungodly man and the wicked Illustrated in Daniel chapter 4 and Ezekiel chapter 31. But in both cases, these trees, referencing the nations, ungodly nations that people come to find shade and and wealth under, they are cut down. But the man of Psalm 1 prospers. And the key is that God's Word defines success and is the provision for it. In other words, this is the life of a man that comes to a successful conclusion because it's the life of a man who knows and is transformed by the Word of God. Remind you that in the garden imagery of Genesis One garden there, in the garden imagery of Revelation 22, there are trees, reminding us of where to reflect. Image heaven as the greatest avenue to success. I uh, I sometimes think, and perhaps my Jane had cynicism, forgive me, but that people are casual today, shallow with respect to the scriptures, everything is superficial. I was reading a text about uh, uh, one of my own rock stars, J.C. Ryle. Uh, Ryle was a 19th century Anglican priest and bishop, just a man of incredible wisdom. It's really a delight to read his sermons. One of his sermons that really struck me was, for lack of a better term, entitled Jellyfish Christianity. You know, a jellyfish is, if you've ever seen one, quite beautiful, um, have a powerful sting, by the way. So you observe them from afar, but um, they have no skeletal system, no definition. Nothing defines them. That is Ryle's point. And so he says we have jellyfish clergy, jellyfish sermons, jellyfish young men and women, and jellyfish worshipers. Because there's no doctrine or dogma in their sermons. Everything is light and breezy. Thought about that for a moment. If you, if you went to your surgeon and said, look, uh, I want an operation, take out my entire skeletal system. What would you be but a blob? And the jellyfish that's driven by the ocean currents ends up on the beach and it's a, it is a, It's a blob. And the sun melts it. Why is that? Because many jellyfish Christians and clergy have, have rejected Psalm 1. And the beauty and the majesty of definition the Word of God. And the Word of God that is filled with dogma and theology to brace us in difficult times. Dogma like God is sovereign over everything. He is supreme. There is no other. The supremacy of God. The sovereignty of God which is the outworking of His majesty and supremacy, that our God is king. That's dogma and theology that defines us, that enriches our lives beyond comparison. That God is not in heaven biting His fingernails. I mean, we're going to learn next week, the Lord willing, that He even laughs at the wicked. So Ryle, I think, is correct. But I would remind you with the profound importance of his imagery of jellyfish Christianity. Because I do think it prevails today. And one thing I know about a jellyfish, it is totally moved by the ocean currents. And there are so many people who just go along with the prevailing breeze. And that I think is ultimately is Ryle's point. And if there's anything that's true about his life, was he was a man that deeply and profoundly loved the Word of God. And because of that, he knew the contrast of the wicked. Because the wicked man loses everything and is taken in judgment. Verses four to six, of Psalm one. It's important to let the psalmist define the wicked man. There's no list of sins here. There's not the dirty dozen, Psalm 1. What is here is implied contrast that this man does not do the scriptures. He may be a pillar in society and eminently successful in business. But he will come to ruin. Someone once asked the Oracle of Omaha why he wrote big checks to nonprofits. His response was that's the way to get to heaven. That is profound shallowness of incredible worry because you can't buy God off regardless of the zeros on your check. The psalmist shocks us with the contrast of the tree that prospers throughout the seasons. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. And the simile that follows is the implicit contrast, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the residue of winnowing grain in which the wind ultimately blows it away. It means that the man who walks, stands, and sits with the foolish will come to nothing in the end. We, we have a way, I think, in a jaded sense of admiring the man or woman with lots of zeros. Or perhaps physical beauty. Or prowess on the baseball diamond. I mean, I don't know where your heroes are, but learn to check your heroes and reread Psalm 1. Kidner describes this man as a man of straw. The wind will blow away. Jesus uses this metaphor. Matthew 3.12 of the winnowing fork that comes in judgment. Gather his wheat into the barn. Burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. His words. The word of the eternal God. So that we know this man who is the contrast to the man of verses 1-3. to by his lack of relationship to the Word of God. Not the zeros behind his numbers. Not where his uh, music is on uh, the charts. Relationship to the Word of God that is alive and powerful. And that he will not stand in the judgment in the sense that he will not survive it. And that all who know His Word will survive it. And we will come through it untarnished and unaffected. And the judgment here is the end time judgment. The only one that really matters. The parallel line is that sinners will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. Someone will come for them and kick them out. Chilling thought. Best illustrated by our Lord in his parables. Reference a couple. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. Parable of the sower. It's a sower that sows uh, good seed. Parable that sows tares. Matthew thirteen twenty four presents another parable, then saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while uh, men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares in and among the wheat, and went away. And they grow together." The servants say, "Should we go out and uh, uh, pluck, pluck the, the weeds up?" And Lord says, "No, let them grow together. The harvesters of the end of the age will separate them." It's really a terrifying illustration if you think about it, because the two men exist together in this world. It's only at the end of the age, in many senses. Uh, that they will be separated. Ultimately, Jesus is saying that the angels at the end of the gauge will go and make the separation. Matthew 13, verse 29 and following, said to them, An enemy has done this, and the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and to gather them up? And he said, No less while you are gathering the tares and they may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. In time judgment. Another parable of the essential truth. Parable of the dragnet. Boat goes out. lets down its nets and they gather everything. Then pull it up into your boat and dump the catch and Begin to throw out the worthless. Keep that is good. The separation when the net is emptied. Verse 48. When it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, and the bad they threw away. And so it will be at the end of the age, the angel shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. We have a way sometimes, I think, of being seduced. Well, the man with a lot of zeros behind his numbers, and he must really be smart, and God is really blessing him. Go to his seminars. It's a way to get seduced. Be very careful about who you're learning from. And what you apply to your heart. It's also incredibly important to take the long-term view. I've always been profoundly grateful that God has not given me a black and white shirt. I don't make the judgments. I proclaim the scriptures knowing that they will affect and run to and fro in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. But one thing I know for certain, at the end of the age, the angels who know because they are the very messengers of God will come into the assembly and take those who do not belong to Him. I mean, how chilling is that? That ultimately you learn at the end. Another parable that has the same truth is in Matthew 22. Parable of the marriage feast. Daughter's going to get married and this guy's going to do it right. He's going to throw a majestic feast and in invites, sends out his invitations to his friends and men of importance and ladies of, of beauty and honor and uh, the judges and the politicians and, uh, his friends and guests, and they don't show up. But he tells his servants, go, go into the highways and byways and fight. And so many come. And he comes into the feast and he looks and he sees a man. Look at verse 11, Matthew 22. When the king came in to look over the dinner gate, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes, He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Imagine that, the doctrine of election teaching us. But those who belong to God through Jesus Christ. The preacher calls everyone, God chooses, and brings the ones that he efficaciously calls. Many are called and few are chosen. And that you and I are clothed with the very righteousness of Christ, imputed to us, charged to our account by God's sovereign grace. And so that trusting in Him, we receive full pardon by faith alone. If this is Reformation Sunday, it is by faith alone. Receive the majesty and the mercies of the grace of God clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. So when the angels come to effect the separation, they see us As the Son has so made us by His righteousness and the Spirit has so perfected by His work in our hearts by the Word of God. To be numbered among the chosen, not taken. The beauty, the majesty of the man and the woman, the boy and the girl who has faith, trusting Christ. The testimony of Scripture alone. Leaving all the counsel of uh, the world for the counsel of the Word of God. Think again of Psalm 73. The psalmist is almost tricked until he goes to church and hears the sermon. The Word of God catches him. He confesses, guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. And that is what God gives to his own. And that is indescribable wealth, the glory of God. It is implicit here that a lot of good men and women are a great blessing to the world in which we live. But that is not the standard. The standard is the eternal world. One's relationship to the Word of God that prepares us not just temporally, but eternally for the final judgment. And that will see us through it because of the imputed righteousness of Christ alone and nothing else. Received by faith alone. The conclusion of Psalm 1 and the matter there in the two different types of men and women and boys and girls is in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's the end. I'll take the long-term view. It's the basis for the separation. The Lord knows the way, it's His way alone in which there is prosperity. That pleasing God by His Word really is wealth and riches. Mind you, of the great promise of the eternal Word, the Good Shepherd. I'm the Good Shepherd and I know my own and they know me. Oh, to know the Savior and forgiveness of all sin and guilt and to hide His Word in our hearts so we might not sin against Him. But to be known by Him, what a joy divine, what a great pleasure and privilege in this life, regardless of the number of zeros. And to know glory will come for you. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. So that in the droughts of life, when their water dries up and the crops are failing, the Lord knows those who are His and will see us through them all. This is success. The word of the Lord will see you through this life and into the next with glory unabated that keeps on coming and coming and coming. That is the true treasure of our hearts through Jesus Christ, the eternal Word. And may that remind us, it'll be okay. Trusting Him is wealth. Knowing and applying His Word to our lives is richness. And will see us to the end. And may it come quickly. because the glory is so incredibly great. And that is our instinct.